Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Delight, we are exploring the Christmas narrative and seeing how the coming of the Christ child brought joy and comfort to those in need. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon. So I went to school in, in Zimbabwe. I went to a boarding school. It was an Anglican school. It was a Church of England school, Episcopal school, you might say, here in the United States. And one of the things that we used to do, we used to describe the school year, the term for this area, this time of year, Advent. How many of you heard the word Advent? Advent is very much a Christmas thing. It is something that Christians have done over the ages. First four Sundays to Christmas, we've done that in order to remember the true meaning of Christmas. Advent means, uh, comes from the Latin coming. And so Advent forces or reminds Christians that Christmas is a time to celebrate the coming. Obviously, the coming of Jesus as the baby 2,000 years ago. But also, there is an element where the coming of Jesus is a reality to us today as we come to faith, as we walk by the Spirit. And then, of course, there is the remembrance of the fact that we as Christians are waiting for the coming of Jesus again, the second coming, when He won't come as a baby, but instead He will come as the King to call His own. Advent, the coming. Now, the virtue that's really focused in on this time of year, this Advent season, is the virtue of patience and waiting. Patience and waiting. And boy, is that something that I know I need to hear. And I'm sure you do because we live in a culture that's not up for waiting and being patient. We have high-speed internet. We have instant messaging. We have something that we can go through a fast food, right? We got everything quick and we want it now. I personally am someone that doesn't like waiting very much. And, and I knew that from, from the time I was little. Remember the days before texting? You used to not, you know, texting each other in school. You used to pass notes. That's how we did texting in, in school. We used to pass notes. And uh, the classic when you would pass notes to the, to the girl you liked or the, the boy you liked, do you remember what you, how you would set it up. Do you like me? There was three boxes, right? Yes, no. And then there was always this maybe. And I was never a maybe kind of person, right? I mean, I used to hate maybe. I, I, I'm a, I would be happy with yes. Oh, she likes me. I would be a little disappointed with no. Oh, she doesn't like me. I'll get over it. But if she did a maybe, that was horrible. I mean, you might as well just torment me and, and kill me. I mean, what is maybe? Maybe. I hate waiting. I do. When I was a kid, uh, I picked up the nickname. My nickname was Dee Dee. But the kids uh, used to call me Dee Dee, go, 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 uh-uh. And the reason they called me go, 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 uh-uh is because we did church camp. I was in Zimbabwe, Africa, and we were in line waiting for food. And my family can attest to this. I don't like to wait for food. Once it's ready, it's time to eat. Uh, those of you know my famous, uh, you know, Mealtime prayers, Lord, thanks for the grub, amen, let's go. Uh, that's just me. So we would be in line, and I would be in the back, and, and there would be people up front, and what I would be saying to them is, hey, go, go, ah, uh, go. And, and so they nicknamed me, go, 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 ah. Uh. Christmas is torment for me, because you have to wait, right? I used to make it my mission as a kid to try to discover the stash of presents. Don't listen, kids, don't do this at home. Uh, 
I used to try to discover where they were hidden so that I could find out what was in there. My wife soon discovered we weren't married long, and she was very disappointed because apparently one time she went out, there were presents under the tree, and she discovered that someone had used a razor knife <laughs> to slice the tape and have a peek. And so uh, <laughs> don't do that at home either, kids. Uh, all right. I hate to wait. I hate to wait. Yet as I reflect on my life, as I reflect on the place that I'm in now, I realize that the best things, the blessed things, the things of God have come to me through a season of waiting. Grew up in the church. I wanted to be baptized. And my parents said, no, you need to wait. You need to understand what you're doing. You, you need to understand the full commitment that you're making. I had to wait. When I was going through high school and I was trying to figure out what God wanted me to do and I couldn't want to do this and I wanted to do that and all my friends were off to college and I was like, okay, I'm not sure what's happening. It was, it was kind of scary time and I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I had to wait before the obvious calling came for me to go to ministry, to leave Zimbabwe and travel to England to study in the ministry, for ministry. While in England, I was there a year, but my heart's desire was to come to Cincinnati Bible College, and I had friends there, I had, had folks that were setting me up, and, and I wanted to go off to a year and be in England, and guess what? God said, no, you need to wait. It wasn't the right time for me. It wasn't the right moment for me. I had to wait another year before the opportunity came, and I, and I came to, to Cincinnati Bible College, and, and I, my heart was, 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 was filled, and I was looking, had a trajectory of my life, and all things got turned upside down when I ran into a young lady named Shannon. And guess what she made me do? She made me wait. She made me wait. We... I liked her, and I liked uh, her, you know, how she looked, and I was pursuing her. I was really friendly with her, but she made me wait. She chose to date this other kid from Indiana. I nicknamed him Horseface. <laughs> His last name was Horseman, so it was close. But she made me wait. We had to wait on engagement. We had to wait for our wedding. And of course, you know, uh, at that time, out of college, I wanted to get into ministry. I had to wait because the ministry didn't come quickly. And the ministry that did come wasn't the ministry of my heart's desire to, to go into youth ministry for a season, waiting, waiting for the opportunity to come to Mount Carmel. And even in that moment, there was waiting involved in that as the Lord did his work through that waiting. Of course, all my kids made me wait. Those of you that have had children, I got four. Every single one of them made me wait before their arrival. The first one, I, you know, I had this illusion that, okay, Shannon would go into contraction. I'd seen it on Little House on the Prairie, right, the movies. And uh, what happened? Well, you went in, you called Doc Baker, those of you who remember this, and he would boil some water, and you would sit there, commercials, and then there would be a baby. And that's how I thought, that's how it's going to be. Uh, and it wasn't. It was waiting like 24-plus hours before my first child was coming because it involves waiting. The growth of this church, the development of this ministry, seasons of waiting, all the significant things in my life, the things that are all from God, involved waiting. Now, those are the big things. Reality is, is that as we live life, living by faith, we're making decisions to wait in being obedient to God. We're praying prayers that we're not seeing the immediate answer to. But we're faithfully asking God, please, would you heal 
this person. Please, God, would you help me in this situation? Please, God, would you provide this opportunity? Please, God, would you guide me? And we do it on a day-to-day basis. And the the answer doesn't come right away because we have to pray it again the next day, and it's a waiting. Some of us are waiting for the job change to come so our career trajectory will go according to what's in our heart's desire, and yet we still have to do the job that we're really not excited about, but it's paying the bills, so we do it, and and we're waiting for God to, to provide that opportunity. We're waiting for for the burden of pain that we're carrying, a sorrow because of a loss of a loved one, a spouse that has, has passed on ahead of us. And now we have to live life now waiting for that burden to be lifted because our hearts are heavy. And we carry that. We live by faith waiting. Our day-to-day is about waiting as we live by faith. Now, the beauty in the Christmas story is that there's a story about a person who waited and was rewarded for his waiting, a story that we don't often refer to in the Christmas text, but we're going to look to this time as we look at the story of Luke chapter 2. And my hope is that this story will encourage you. This story will, 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 will result in the delight that comes with the Christmas story and the birth of Jesus and the coming of Jesus. My hope is that it will encourage you to hold on and to be faithful in waiting. Hold on and be faithful in waiting as you go through that courtship or as you look for Mr. Perfect or Miss Perfect. Hold on as you continue to slave away trying to to pull yourself to a financial situation where you feel like you'll have options as you pay off debt and as you pay off household, as you pay the piper as you work up the career. Hold on as you you continue to to try your best in rearing your child in in the way he or she should go in the Lord and and see the fruit of that labor. Hold on as as you wait to use the gifts that God gives you, to use it in the time that God attended. My hope is that the story that we're going to reference today will be an encouragement for you to delight in Jesus because of the blessing that comes from waiting. It's a story about a man named Simeon. Luke chapter 2. Verse 22, here's, a, here's how it begins. Now, we pick up the story after the birth of Jesus. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is real close to Jerusalem. Mary and Joseph are devout God followers, Jews, and so because of that, they are adherents to what the law requires. And so what we find is about a week or so, about eight days after the birth of Jesus, it says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord's, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now Luke makes reference to two rites to rituals of purification that the law of God required of the Israelites, two of them that are taken care of with one visit. The first one is the purification of Mary. After childbirth, there was a, a period where she would be considered unclean, and so now she's going to uh, go through sacrifice to purify her ceremonially. Also, there was the requirement that the firstborn child of any family, actually every firstborn of everything you produce, was to be dedicated to the Lord. And so if you're interested in in looking up the scriptures, Leviticus 2, 2 through 8 is the requirement for purification for Mary. And then in Exodus 13, 2, you find this requirement of the 
Jews or the Israelites to dedicate their firstborn to God. Notice here, just a little side note, that Mary and Joseph offered a, what? a pair of doves and two young pigeons. If you look at the provision there, doves and pigeons were an offering to the people so that those who had no money to pay what was typically required, a lamb, didn't have the means to pay for a lamb, could offer up doves and fulfill the rites here. In other words, Mary and Joseph didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of means. And, and this is an indication of that reality. So let's read on. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. By the way, if you read that, you're like, oh, he's, he's talking about me and you. Those of us that are not Jews and come from a Jewish heritage, we are the Gentiles. This is a reference to us, right? Cool. Anyway, revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The, fathers, the child's father and mother, it says, marveled at what was said about him. And so what do we know? What do we know about Simeon? Well, first of all, Luke says that Simeon was righteous and devout. He was a man who had dedicated his life to God. He had dedicated his life to God, and as a, as a devout Jew, as a devout recipient of the message of God through what we would call the Old Testament, Simeon knew that God had promised the people of Israel a Messiah, one who would, who would restore Israel, be a light to the Gentiles, and the glory. Remember what I said last week about glory? Glory means that which identifies. Well, Israel will be identified as the people of God through the coming of the Messiah. This is what Simeon was waiting for as a Jew, but then more specifically we find out that the Holy Spirit told Simeon, hey, by the way, Simeon, the Messiah is going to be coming in your lifetime. You will not die before you lay your eyes on the coming of the Messiah. You will witness it with your very own eyes. And so we know Simeon was a righteous and devout man, but we also see now that he was someone who carried a burden, and that burden was waiting. He had to wait. Now, in my mind, I see Simeon as an old, old guy, uh, and I think that's typically how uh, most folks see it. Why do we say that? Well, typically you don't use language like he was promised he won't see, he, he won't die before he sees the coming of the child. You don't usually use that language other than for old geezers, right? I mean, that, that's usually how it works. And so you get this idea that Simeon was an older guy who had been waiting. I don't know how long he'd been waiting, but he had been waiting a while. And in many ways, Simeon is the personification of the faithful Israel who had been waiting for what the Bible says, the constellation of Israel, the comforting, the encouragement of Israel. Jesus would be the reward for those who are faithful. And when he came, he would comfort, he would encourage, he would console those who are faithful to him, who have held on day in and day in out, waiting. Because you got to imagine, as Simeon lives each of his day, 
he begins to realize, wait a minute, I'm not getting younger. The days are adding up. There are more days behind me than they are probably in front of me. Lord, when are you going to fulfill your promise? When are you going to do what you said you were going to do for me? And you have to wonder, as he's living each of these days, looking ahead, knowing that his days are becoming shorter and shorter and shorter, he might have, might, might have to start wondering, okay, is it really going to happen? Each morning waking up, is this what's, am I going to see what God promised? Am I going to, to witness that which God gave to me? Was it real? Was it not real? Was it really God speaking to me? I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm being faithful as God wants me to be faithful, but I am still not seeing what he promised because I'm waiting. And so I think you can kind of catch the emotion when all of a sudden it says he was led by the Holy Spirit to the temple and he is brought to Jesus. And you can understand why he kind of grabs that child and he praises God. And basically says, oh God, thank you. Now I know I can die. See, the story of Simeon points to the reality that Jesus... blesses those who are faithful. That God blesses those who are faithful. God blesses those who hold on. Christmas means God blesses the faithful. Those who choose to wait. Those who choose to dedicate their days to the Lord living by faith. Because living by faith is living with waiting. Not too long ago, we decorated the church, and my small group was given charge of constructing these uh, Christmas trees. They put the best team on the toughest project, I'd say, and uh, we did it pretty cool. Anyway, so at that time, we were hanging out. Everyone's decorating was fun, and I got sitting down to my friend John, and my friend John begins to talk to me about a preacher he heard, a teacher he heard, and he's like, hey, Dee, have you ever heard this? And he said, you know, what is the opposite of faith? And so my mind immediately started thinking, well, opposite of faith is atheism, disbelief, doubt, fear, you know, the usual answers. He said, yeah, yeah, but this guy had something interesting. He said, you know, the opposite of faith is certainty. Hmm. Yeah, I get it. Certainty. Certainty. I, I know what it is. I have what it is. I have control. Uh, I have no need to trust or believe because that which I know to be true, I have it right here. And so when I'm in certainty, I'm not living by faith. Faith is living with trust, which typically requires us to live not with certainty, but instead live with confidence in the one whom we trust as we wait for them to deliver that which they promised to deliver. And we're called to live by faith. Now, there are certain aspects of our life that we live with certainty, right? In our day-to-day -day present, but when it comes to living for God, we know we have to live by faith. See, the Jesus follower automatically comes into a family who's waiting. Remember I said Advent? Past, present, and future. We live with the hope that Jesus is coming back. 
And at his return, there will be a resurrection to dead. Resurrection of the dead will mean those who are dead will come back to life. Those of us who are dying will be renewed in our bodies and we will face judgment. And those who belong to Jesus will go with him to heaven. And those who do not will face an eternity without him. But we live with that expectation, looking forward to the place that, that we belong. Paul says that you are citizens of heaven. Therefore, live as citizens of heaven striving to travel to that city of which you have not received it yet, but instead have a deposit with the Spirit in you as an encouragement to live by faith. And so we don't live with certainty in that sense. We live with confidence in the one we believe in. See, that's how it means to live in this world by faith. Preacher named Keith Manis tells a story about his visit to Aunt Gladys. Aunt Gladys had an orchard in her backyard, and one day she, he, they went to visit, and, and everyone noticed that the apple trees were just loaded with apples. I mean, to the point of which the limbs started to look like they were going to snap with the harvest of apples. And, and they were all amazed at what, what was going on. And so, so Keith asked his aunt, hey, Aunt Gladys, what's, what's, what's going on? Gladys explained. You see, she said, you know, last spring we had... A late frost. Late frost froze the buds of the apple tree. And when that happens, something amazing occurs. The apple tree does something miraculous. It stores that energy that was going to be pushed out in that spring. It stores it up in these little nodules called seons. These nodules, these bumps, these, these gnarly things on the, the, the limbs. And... They stay there for an entire year until the next spring comes around. And the warmth of the next spring, all of a sudden, it explodes in production. It explodes in production. You know, living by faith in Jesus works like that sometimes too, right? In this life, we face hardships, frosts, seasons of doubt and struggle, cancer, divorce, bankruptcy, we struggle with trauma, grief, depression. We struggle with disappointment and failures. And these things are like frosts on our heart, discouragements, scars on our inside. But because we are followers of Jesus, we, we live with this promise, the spirit within us. We look forward to an abundant harvest that through that season of waiting, though we, if we are faithful to God, He will provide an explosion of productivity, of blessing, of, of His grace in our life. Seasons of, of frost burst to life, and we live with that hope and that expectation. How? By being faithful and waiting. Waiting. But we hate to wait, don't we? We hate to wait. We want certainty. We want it now. This Christmas as we celebrate, remember that the story of Simeon tells us that God blesses those who are faithful. But that faithful part, it's tough because it means waiting. Came across another story about a journalist named Alex Stone. He writes about Houston Airport, 
executives there were dealing with a, 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 a flood of complaints by passengers who were complaining about the wait time for receiving their luggage. And so they responded to these complaints. They hired more people, and they got to the point where they were delivering passengers' luggage to the luggage pickout place, to the carousels. They were delivering them in an industry-high eight minutes. Yet people still complained about waiting. And so they investigated what was going on, and they discovered, oh, they realized that it takes one minute to get off the plane and walk to where you're going to pick up your luggage. And what was happening is that a passenger was standing there for a whole seven minutes watching empty carousels waiting for their luggage to be delivered. And they realized the problem was that there was a hurry-up-and-wait thing. And so what they did was, as a solution, is they moved uh, the luggage pickup area further away. In other words, people would walk that seven minutes, and many times, by the time they arrived to pick up their luggage, it was there waiting for them. No more complaints. Now, this brings up an interesting thing about the psychology of waiting. In fact, uh, this journalist talks, talked to an MIT man, uh, Richard Larson, who is an expert on the psychology of queuing. And he said this, this story about the Houston airport is actually a perfect example of what happens with us when we wait. It's, it's not necessarily the wait. It's what we do while we wait, what's happening while we wait. If we're doing something that engages us or we realize something else, we're doing something while we wait, we can wait a little while. That's why my wife wants me to pull off the highway when there is a slowdown in front of me and go into the back roads and you know, we're driving up to Columbus, and next thing we know, we'll find ourselves in Indiana. But, hey, at least we're not waiting five minutes for the traffic to clear, right? But we're moving, and it makes it more tolerable. Here's the problem. When we have to wait for God, sometimes we wonder what's he doing, what's happening. That's the point that causes that wait to be difficult. And what's needed, ultimately, is for us to train ourselves in a perspective change. A perspective change. A perspective change that actually is illustrated to us in the reaction of Joseph and Mary. Simeon takes the child and makes these proclamations. And what does it say? It says, Mary and Joseph, what do they do? They celebrated. They marveled. They were amazed at what was said about him. To be marveled, to be amazed, to, to, to pause and say, wow, thank you, God. God is awesome. Is really the key to how we change our perspective. Entering into the discipline of listening to God. You know, when we pray, what we're doing is we're actually doing a practice that changes our perspective because our prayers remind us that God is bigger than we are and has things in control we can trust in him when we give thanks we say God does provide for us and even though I'm not getting that which I'm asking now he does provide in other ways that I can take a moment to give thanks for and say God is with me God is with me when we come to church and we engage in the practices of, of church from, from prayer and singing songs of praise and, and taking communion, what are we doing? We're remembering that God is faithful and has been faithful in the past and will be, has been faithful now by His Spirit and will be faithful in the future. And that perspective change helps us in our times of waiting because we're reminded that God with us, Emmanuel, 
And God blesses those who are faithful. Even when things get tough and even when things get difficult and are are painful and hard, if we remain faithful, God will bless us, even though we may not even actually see that blessing until the end when he returns. That is how we're called to live by faith. I'm going to ask that we would uh, take this moment to remember that truth, to remember that this Christmas, waiting teaches us that God blesses those who are faithful. When the kids want to open up the presents early, here's a lesson. God blesses those who are faithful. That's why we wait. Let's delight in the coming of the child because the people of Israel waited. The faithful, like Simeon, waited and were blessed for their faithfulness. We are blessed in our day-to-day when we are obedient to God. And he blesses us in our presence. And we live with a hope that one day we will rejoice at the coming of the king to take those who are faithful to be with him. No more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. To bless those who are waiting. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.